Hello, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Village Medicine Podcast. Our sacred intention is to host a respectful and honest conversation among a diverse collective of healthcare practitioners and advocates. We explore health topics from a truly open and integrative medical approach. I am Dr. Tara Shelby, Medical Director of Village Medicine Seattle. I am here today with our spiritual director and the one and only Shar Sundust. We'd also like to welcome family physician Dr. Carrie Rose to our conversation today. Special thanks to Camellia Jade, our fantastic audio engineer. Today's podcast topic is creative ways to get in touch with your cycles, organs, and sensuality. We are thrilled to be here today with the academic and empath Dr. Ryan Simmons, who has been described by many, including myself, as bold, multidimensional, and a free spirit. Ryan earned her doctorate in physical therapy from the University of Southern California. She has over 10 years of orthopedic patient care experience and extensive additional training in integrative healthcare modalities, including internal pelvic assessment and treatment, postpartum care, visceral mobilization, nutrition, intestinal healing protocols, medical therapeutic yoga, meditation, breathwork, vaginal steaming, and Taoist sexual practices. In her early years, Ryan had an independent clinical massage therapy practice, and hands-on techniques are still a huge part of her treatment programs. I'm so pleased to introduce you from San Pancho, Mexico, to the amazing Dr. Ryan Simmons. Welcome! Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Hooray! So why don't you tell us a little bit more about how'd you get into PT and how come you have a focus in pelvic floor therapy? Well, um, I started out as a massage therapist and um, just loved the sort of hands-on osteopathic type of um, treatment model, but I wasn't getting my patients well, per se, they were coming back to me over and over again. And um, I had a, a client who was a, a physical therapist herself. And she was like, you know, Ryan, you should just go to PT school, just do it. And so um, I did, I went to PT school, um, got my doctorate degree and actually practiced in a bunch of different uh, um, places before settling into the pelvic health area. So I did orthopedics. I've worked in burn units. I've worked with neurologic patients. Um, and I, and I wanted to be that way. I wanted to have a wide variety of understanding of, um, of the body. And I wanted to treat all kinds of, uh, different diagnoses. And I think that now that I've done that, and now that I'm in pelvic health, I really feel like a much more of a holistic healthcare practitioner than, than just, um, sort of a, a niche practitioner, despite the fact that at this point in my career, I'm really um, focused on women and pelvic health. Awesome. So how'd you get there? Why'd you choose pelvic floor? How did it get well, to pelvic health? So, um, I had, I have children of my own. My daughter is going to be nine tomorrow and, uh, my son is six and after my daughter was born, I had um, a, I didn't have a traumatic pregnancy or birth per se, but I did have a relatively traumatic um, postpartum experience. I had um, thyroiditis, which eventually resolved. And actually, it was un- it was undiagnosed. But for me, now that I've seen 
women with um, thyroiditis postpartum, I know that all of the symptoms that I had were very likely correlated with that. Um, and I also had some pelvic floor dysfunction following the birth of my daughter and um, just really started to relate to women in a, in a much bigger way, my, the women in my practice than I, than I did with men and started to really just enjoy um, talking to them and their uh, talking about, with them about their experience and the dramatic ways that women's bodies change over time, especially um, through the childbirth process. And so I just started focusing on sort of like the external um, orthopedic areas that women find themselves dealing with, like hip, chronic hip issues, low back pain, SI joint issues, and started to get sort of to the pelvic floor from an external way, and, but then ultimately went and got training doing internal work. Wonderful. So what do you think women need to know? I mean, what is real pelvic floor dysfunction? I mean, I, I would assume most women think, and a common question for me on an intake is, when you jump on a trampoline, do you pee yourself a little? But what other things <laughs> do we need to be thinking about with regards to pelvic floor dysfunction? Or what should it be like? What it, what's going on? What do you see the most that's not talked about by most women? Um, well, I, I think what we need to know is how much we don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we, we are not educated at all from, um, starting with menses about our organs, about our hormones, the way that, um, our monthly system regulates hormones and how those hormones affect are not only the way we function systemically, but the literal tissues of our pelvic floor. I think that we, a lot of people, I mean, I've seen this meme, you know, on the internet that's like, people don't even know there are three holes in the pelvic floor before having traumatic injury and having someone say, no, yes, you have, you know, the urethra and you have a vagina and you have an anus. There are three, you know, there are three, th three things coming out of those muscle tissues. So, um, I think what I, what I feel is that we just need to start learning about educating women and women need to, to start just really learning much more about the everyday processes that are happening in their bodies so that they can identify potential dysfunction before it gets really bad and also that they can so that they know when and how and whom to seek help from when they do have issues. Absolutely. I have to say that in the amount of home births that I've done as a midwife, um, that was a surprising piece of information for me is some women really not knowing what hole their child came from or have right. any concept of their anatomy. And that was something for myself even. Um, I was really discouraged the first time I went for a pap smear. I went to my mom's gynecologist actually. And he didn't really pay attention to me. He didn't teach me anything. He looked in the other direction. And when it was done, I thought, okay, you know, not comfortable, but nothing terrible. That was fine. And I remember we were walking to the car and my mom said, so how'd it go? 
And I said, well, you know, that was really worthless. I didn't learn anything. I don't understand. I, right. You know, I didn't get to see anything. I have no idea what happened. And she said, you know what, Tara, you're right. We're never going back there again. <laughs> and I thought, like, way to take my pap smear virginity. Like, that's it. And it wasn't until uh, much later that I started to actually explore. And when I was pre-med to actually open the textbooks and start talking about it and really learning, I, I didn't really understand what was going on with my cycle. And I was fascinated by what happens. And as you mentioned, those subtle shifts in the tissues that you can feel, whether you're in the first part or second part, follicular or luteal phase, or what's even happening with the anatomy, because vaginas are so darn different. Yes. And one of the things I also have to say, and I'm sure you can speak a lot more to this, is that a woman can tell me anything, but vaginas and vulvas, they don't lie. They always tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth. <laughs> they always tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed that? That or is for sure. Can you talk to a little bit to us about the disconnect between how little um, most women understand about their bodies, not only because of lack of education, by, but by signs and signals that it can give us and how we can find our way to decoding them? Yes. I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of times, you know, just like we might hold tension in our shoulders or, or you know, hold tension places in our bodies, um, people with stress and anxiety, you know, showing up with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, things like this, you know, the same thing is happening in the pelvis for women. And, um, so many times the women that I treat once we are, once we're there, once we're, we're in the pelvis and we're doing just even external checks or, um, even if I'm looking at someone's C-section scar, um, the, women's bodies react to that, um, sometimes in, in, um, physical ways that for me communicate fear, um, communicate, you know, prior potential, prior, um, trauma or experiences like that. Um, and a lot of actually pelvic pain comes from spasm and holding patterns in the pelvis that sometimes, aren't even known to the individual until there is some sort of um, release or relief from, from that tension. And sometimes that release happens on the table in the moment, you know, and, and sometimes it happens later or it's more of a process. But um, I do find that once someone is there in, with a, with a caring um you know, trauma-informed touch that people are very surprised by what actually is lying within uh, within the pelvis. Well, I think there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of energy that is spent by women in not talking about that stuff. There's a lot of shame about it. There's a lot of fear, and it's just not. You know, I think people struggle to bring up any topic to their doctor, let alone talk about sexual health, um, anything related to the pelvis, the pelvic organs. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, I see it all the time. People just don't want to talk about it. If they do bring it up, it might be, you know, with a little bit of shame at the very end of the visit, you know? Um, so I, I think that's a huge part of this issue is just our inability to create a safe space for people to talk about it. 
And it's really often yes. not until they find someone like you, Ryan, that they actually do feel free to open up and share what's actually going on, what's really going on, because we can see it, right? Like, and one of you guys said that it doesn't lie, the, the organ doesn't lie, or the, the physical manifestations don't lie, but there's just a lot of, um, yeah, there's a real push to just hold all, all that stuff in and not talk about it, so. Yeah, and I, I actually find that sometimes um, the somatic path, like working with somebody with their body, can be a really successful outlet to get to the talking part, you know, sort of when someone is, is able to feel something in their body that all of a sudden they're like, Oh wow. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, they, they, it opens up this awareness and they're just like, wow, I I really have to deal with this. You know, I can, I can feel now that I can't hide from, from what I'm holding here, you know? So I think using the body as sort of the pathway to get to those, you know, perhaps traumatic experiences or whatever they're holding there is is kind of a, is a nice um, way to do it. Could you tell us a little bit more um, about the definition of somatic? I mean, you sort of just explained it, but I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit more so how you connect between, you know, what am I holding in my vagina and what's in my heart or what's what's going on there? Um, well, I guess, you know, I don't know if this is a very clinical or well-accepted definition of somatic, but what somatic means for me is the mind-body connection and that we hold, you know, our experiences literally in our tissues and addressing the, the tissue can lead to a release of, of an emotional experience. Yeah. Do you guys want to expound upon yeah. that? Well, I mean, just from my perspective and, I, perspective, and I think for all of us probably sitting in this room, that's true for every single symptom and condition in the body. I mean, there's, I have not seen a single one where there's not a mind-body connection, but it's really that awareness and uh, keeping that, you know, in our hearts and our, in our minds when we're working with patients and we can really see that, you know, there's almost always an emotional, spiritual, psychological piece to every, every problem that we encounter. But I do think that particularly the, the pelvic area is just so loaded and there's just so much, I think, I think it is, there's kind of a more powerful somatic experience in that region of the body. That's just my, my personal opinion, just because of the way we, we do hold our muscles. I think I love that you said that about the, the muscle holding patterns, because, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that that chronic pelvic pain due to muscle tension is very similar to fibromyalgia where people are just under so much stress and just having so much, so much emotional pain that they're just literally clenching muscles in their body. And it typically shows up in the, in the neck and the, the back region. And then also in the, in the pelvis. And, you know, it's uh, it's, it's really quite a common condition that just nobody talks about. Right. Thank you, Carrie. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, Ryan, thank you. One of the things I notice with my own patients and clients is that uh, oftentimes when there's a trauma, they will leave, they'll vacate their body, you know, so they call it like hovering or disassociation is a psychological term for it. And, uh, and so to actually be able to like land again in the body to, to, uh, to have some form of practice. I appreciate that you also are a yogic practitioner 
and therapist, and that is such a powerful way to address that and to really bring people back to their bodies in a way that is safe and in a way where they can really reside and, and come home to themselves. And I, I appreciate also that sensuality is in the title of our podcast and that you know, coming home and in, in, in fullness and in richness to our own senses and to what we want to touch and feel and taste and, and experience, hear, say. So all of our senses are engaged in that coming home and in that presence within our body. So, yeah, thank you, Carrie and Ryan and Tara. Thank you. Yeah, and just to speak to the disassociation piece, it's something that I've become very familiar with and that I see a lot in, in even the act of performing, you know, sort of um, consensual manual therapy with, with patients. Yes. Um, and, you know, I literally have to be watching for that all the time because so many of my patients have not had a practitioner watch for that. And oh, therefore yeah. they've had levels of trauma, like multiple levels of trauma because they've had you know, they've had a pel- they've had pelvic pain for years, and then each practitioner that they go to then re-traumatizes them right. by not noticing disassociation when it's li- when it's there. And then, I mean, I had, for example, a, a patient that I saw who was telling me that she had you know, vaginal pain postpartum and wanted me to to um, take a look at her, you know, tissues. And she literally was closing her thighs. And I said, I, I can't take a look at your tissues until your body wants me to take a look at your tissues. That's so true. I can't. and, And, you know, she had had multiple practitioners, um, treat, treat her and, you know, but not, but not treat her for, the trauma that she was, you know, expressing, but actually just treat her tissues. And I just felt like this is going to take much longer. You know, you're, we're going to, our process is going to be much longer than that because I'm unwilling to go to ignore what your body is telling me. Well, that must've been so healing for her just to have somebody actually paying attention to the whole picture and everything that was happening, not just what was happening in the tissues. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, could you give us an example of a really complicated, uh, maybe success story of what it's like to work with somebody over time to really work through, whether it be pelvic pain or incontinence or chronic UTIs or yeast infections, something revolving around the vagina and vulva that you've been able to help people and give us some of the, the details about how you help people? Sure. Um, so I, the first patient I thought about was a young woman who, um, was on birth control for a very long time. I want to say from the age of 18 to maybe 30 before she started developing, um, severe pelvic pain. And she went off of birth control after seeing a a bunch of practitioners, she went off of birth control because they um, decided to try to get her cycles to regulate. And in going off birth control, she had intense pelvic pain that prevented her from being able to be sexually active. 
And then she didn't start her period again after going off birth control. And after testing her hormones over a number, maybe two years or so, they, um, she, it was, she was told that she was in early menopause. So I don't know exactly, you know, that, that part of the story, I wasn't involved with her and during that part of the story. So I don't know exactly what was going on with her hormones, but clearly there was a large amount of hormone imbalance going on. So before I saw her, she had been probably within 15 years of pelvic pain and was not sexually active with her husband because of this experience. And I see that a lot, you know, where the pelvic pain becomes very tied to people's long-term relationships. So it's not only is your body under threat every day from pelvic pain, but your, your whole world is under threat because you're afraid that your partner, you know, might leave, um, because you can't be sexually intimate with them. Um, and so she, just like a lot of patients that I see had had many practitioners from MDs to naturopath doctors to pelvic floor physical therapists working with her to try to resolve her pain. And when she came to me and this happens a lot, I, when I see patients, I'm just like, okay, so what can, what can we work on that nobody else has worked on? So I try to figure out what people have tried to do before so that we're not, you know, just trying all the same old things. And and what came up for us was that nobody had ever gotten her into her body with guided imagery, breath work, meditation, um, and really calmed the nervous system. And so we spent months And this is hard when somebody comes to you with pelvic pain. I mean, of course you want to be doing manual therapy on their pelvis. You know, that's like the first and easiest kind of like lowest hanging fruit. But actually the reality was that wasn't what she needed from me. She needed to calm her nervous system. And so we spent months doing guided imagery and meditation. And then we started gradually moving that guided imagery and meditation into pelvic work. But I would spend 30 minutes at least during the session with low lighting and music and calming and breath work and guided imagery. And then I would sort of, you know, move into the vaginal work without trying to disrupt that sort of meditative state that we were in together. And, um, you know, I would just start with five minutes of work and then I could eventually do seven minutes and then I could do 10 minutes. And this is a long process, Wow. you know, over months, but just knowing that, that doing the same thing for her was not going to fix what was going on. And ultimately this person returned to sexual activity with their partner. And granted it was, you know, she was using dilators at home. You know, she had a lot of self care that she had to do at home. She had to change her diet and take out, you know, inflammatory foods, um, and do a whole bunch of holistic work outside of our work together to get her nervous system to just really, you know, accept intimacy, you know? Um, so that's a story that I can remember or recall a patient that I can recall. 
being extremely complex. Amazing. And so now are you likening it when you're saying manual therapy or intravaginal therapy? Is it sort of like getting a massage as if like your neck was really tight? Or can you describe a little bit? Like, what is that? It seems so scary and mystic and strange. And (laughs) what do you mean you're going to work in my vagina? What kind of work are we doing? What are you doing there? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, it's um, digital palpation of the tissues. In other words, I use a finger to, to pal- a gloved and lubricated finger to palpate, um, the tissues. And I can locate by doing that, I can locate trigger points in the tissues. Just like if you have a knot in your shoulder, I can locate trigger points in the tissues. I can manually stretch and massage the tissues. It's sort of because the pelvis the pelvic floor muscles are smaller than some of the, obviously the bigger muscles in the body. These are like small sort of very specific strokes on small, very specific muscles. So there's a lot of sort of holding against a trigger point until it releases and um, starting at the attachment of a muscle or the origin of a muscle and sweeping with my finger towards its attachment. So just sort of like rubbing along the length of that muscle or just like pulling the muscle gently so that so that it can be stretched. And then there's a lot of work with the patient on breathing and coordinating breath with relaxation. And, and because a lot of people are actually holding their muscles tight and they don't realize it. So there's a lot of working with patients to feel whether or not they're actually contracting their muscles or not contracting their muscles. And the proprioception of having like a person's hand or finger on the muscle, you're, you're like, okay, the muscle's right here. Can you feel my touch? This is a muscle. This is the tight muscle. This is a tight muscle on the right side of your pelvis. Okay. Now let me flip my hand over. Okay. This is that same muscle on the left side of your pelvis. Can you feel that this muscle doesn't feel the same. And then I move my finger back as this muscle right here. Can you feel that? You know, so it's like this kind of conversation and touch where someone starts building a map in their brain of their own pelvic floor and what it might look like three-dimensionally. And that's complex for people to do, but um, to build actual visual, but I try to help them do that because what I'm trying to do is help them you know, build that map so they can feel what's tight and what's not. So it's not only just like massage, but it's actually like, you know, it's a proprioceptive kind of activity. Fantastic. And in talking about holding this, the space in a sacred manner for somebody to be able to show up again and and re-inhabit those tissues. That's such a beautiful piece of the story. And I often tell women behind eating and drinking and sleeping, you also get to be a a very sexual being. And I can't tell you how many women just kind of, I think there's a normal part after you give birth of, of, focusing on a little person and so maybe not being as sexually active or aware with breastfeeding and all the hormones postpartum but then returning to your body and being able to experience your hormones completely it can be a great wonder and joy in life and not something we should just ignore or cut off or say it doesn't work anymore <laughs> yeah yeah the the sexual the intimacy piece especially postpartum is is super individual, you know, I mean, I remember that I would not let, like, I didn't want my husband to touch my boobs for like a year. I was like, I am 
off limits. I am a cow with udders. Like, if you <laughs> try to touch my boobs while milk is coming out of them, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I also remember feeling super bummed about that because for me, that was such a sensual thing before. And I was like, am I ever going to get that back? Like, what? I'm so, I'm so scared that I won't. And I, and so being able to relate with women on that and to tell them you will get that back and you can get that back if you want to. I mean, even that alone is just validating for them and helpful. I think, I also think talking about orgasm, the different types of orgasm, the anatomy of the clitoris, how freaking phenomenal that organ is. Um, how we learn about our sexuality based on male anatomy and not female anatomy and how it's totally off base and how there is just so much potential if we get in touch with our, our, um, you know, really with our bodies, if we get in touch with our sensations, the, the things that make us feel good and open and alive if we are like able to get in touch with with those parts of our pelvis and our body then we can enjoy sex to a much greater degree than before we had children and that's been my experience tell us more (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i i mean um i just feel so i actually i heard about this from a woman who, her name's Sid Reynolds. She has an Instagram page called Mothering and Daughtering. And she talks a lot about female archetypes. And she actually talks about, you know, most of us, many of us know there's the maiden and the mother and the crone, but of course there are a ton of other female archetypes. And she talks about the virgin coming after the mother. So there's a virgin, there's an opportunity for rebirth of women after mothering that is so profound that, that you become a virgin again. You are a totally renewed woman after you have children. I'm not talking about immediately postpartum, obviously. So I'm talking about a couple years later when your children seem to be sort of like doing their own thing and you're out of the weeds. Mm. There's this, you know, there's this awakening of yourself as like, you're like, yeah, like I did that. Like I raised those babies, like, look at me go. (laughs) And, um, And I think there's an opportunity just even in saying that to women and even just saying like, you have an opportunity to to, um, rebirth yourself here in this moment as a totally different, very, you know, hashtag woke woman now that you've had all of this experience. And so for me, I just feel like I just let go of so many, um, you know, chains that were binding me about how I felt about my, the way my body looked, um, you know, and I, I felt a power in my body that it, it went, it was like this one way, then it totally morphed, then it totally morphed again back into something different. And just that like, wow, your body, our bodies are phenomenal. Like I grew a thing. I grew a thing in my body. (laughs) Like I grew a human being in my body. And um, I think in owning yourself and having that agency and, and that feeling that power of motherhood, you actually can birth this sensuality, you know, this sort of like the sensual mother 
gorgeous. That is real. I that mean, is beautiful. Breastfeeding used to be so, I mean, it's sexy. It's beautiful. Um, you know, and so just coming into the sensual mother has um, happened for me, but it's it happened with support and a lot of reading and a lot of women older than me saying, you can have this too, you know? It's, you know, thank you, Ryan. And what it's, remi- it's remi- so many things are going through my mind right now, but, but right as you were, the sensual mother, like what a beautiful thing to say. And, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about the earth and how the earth is also our mother and how there's no one more sensual than the earth. Like the earth is, con- I mean, she is popping and cheering and moving and shifting so constantly. And, uh, it's just such a powerful uh, way to to uh, to connect with who we really are, which is the great mother. We're connected to the great mother uh, as women, uh, and the sensual mother is is uh, there's such deep truth I feel uh, in that statement. And I love you saying that because one of the main things I tell my patients that are really hurting. And, and not being intimate, I'm like, I tell them that you have to get into nature. You, you absolutely have to remove yourself from the devices, the screens, the pace of this, you know, world that we're living in. And you have to go look at the ocean and connect with the forest and just like be in nature because it does bring out that sensuality in us. And I think that that is a very practical way to get people connected to that. I think also that, you know, as you were saying that, I thought about the many times that I've gone to, to stand at the water and reflect and, and the sensuality in that. And I feel as though that that sensuality is connected to respect. Like that there's this respect and there's this, connection that I'm having and in that the, that respect and even love uh, that happens when I'm pausing and slowing down, then what emerges out of that is the sensuality. So it brings to mind another question, which is, you know, what we're both speaking to is I think the pace at which we're going and as mothers, as women, as leaders in our communities and in our homes that, you know, there's we don't really have the time and the space to be no. sensual. Like it, being sensual re- requires another experience besides the ones we're having right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you can't have sex unless you're on vacation, which is absurd. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, without community support to help us raise our babies and take care of them where it doesn't break the bank, which is actually how it is right now. Right. It, it is really hard to get in, into that space. But I, you know, despite all of that, I just, I try to help my patients understand with that where there's a will, there is a way. Yeah. And that we, you know, of course you, you're going to have to make some changes in your life and stop and cut out things and stop over scheduling ourselves, which is just, I mean, yeah. <laughs> as, as parents, the, some people, they are just like, they're on this crazy schedule. I mean, that just doesn't allow for sex or sensuality or, or getting into that space. So yeah, I just, I just try to help them sort of coach them through like, okay, here are the practical things we have to do for sensuality to live in your life. 
you know, oh, and beautiful. You know, sometimes they want to go there and sometimes they don't. And so I have to, that, you know, that's the pragmatic part of being a healthcare provider is like you, you can't always get people there, but you at least try to give them some, some tools. I want yeah. to talk more about the clitoris. <laughs> but Carrie was going to ask a question, Carrie. Uh, no, I was just, uh, that's a way better question. So I think it's just, uh, <laughs> no, I, I just, I was just thinking of something that, that we've talked about before, which is just, uh, and I just love how you talk about getting women back to nature and just the connection between like mother earth and ourselves as mothers, because mm. I do think there's such powerful parallels there. Um, you know, because, you know, I think about how the way we are treating the earth and the way we're caring for the earth is very, there's so many parallels with how we're ca- caring for ourselves and treating ourselves as mothers and it's not good. Yes. <laughs> and so I love that. I love that that approach to, you know, getting out into nature and sort of fostering and nurturing that respect for Mother Earth and for and for nature and how that can then ultimately heal us as mothers. And I just, I think that's a really powerful um, modality uh, that we all have access to at any yeah. time. So thank you, Carrie. Yeah. So now about the clitoris. I know. <laughs> now on yes, to the so clitoris. About yes. the clitoris. <laughs> Tell us the secrets of the yes. clitoris. Sex twice a week minimum. <laughs> Prescription. Well, the, well the, clitoris, the clitoris is more than just, I mean, I think that people don't, they haven't seen the anatomy of the clitoris, which is actually this wishbone shaped organ. Wishbone. Yeah. Um, that, you know, comes down on either side of the vaginal opening. I, I think, um, so the superficial layer of the pelvic floor, um, are the muscles that, and the way I cue them is to like close the vaginal opening. So it's that, it's that very like superficial kind of muscle. Well, the, I mean, the clitoris is just kind of like right around that vaginal opening area. And I think that sometimes people, you know, Sometimes people know that they can have a clitoral orgasm by using a vibrator or a manual stimulation or whatever, like to this one spot, right? You're like honed in on this one little spot. That's like the one. But actually when you start releasing and contracting and releasing and contracting like the vaginal opening, you're actually, you're able to stimulate sort of the wishbone legs of the clitoris and, and you know, reach a different level of orgasm than when you're just like trying to do the deed and like, you know, (laughs) rub the clitoris as as fast (laughs) as you can, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but again, to, to, to speaking to time, like having the time, you know, I mean, are we taking the time to actually like be properly lubricated and, to actually stimulate the vaginal opening and those wishbone portions of the clitoris. And, you know, really, um, are we using our, our knowledge of our tissues, our muscles to, to help stimulate that? Are we bringing breath into our pelvis? Are we breathing with our partner? Are we looking in their eyes? Like all, there's all these things that can help you, um, with orgasm. And I think just knowing, even the shape of the clitoris um, and knowing that you can stimulate it by working around the vaginal opening is, is just something that, that helps people too, you know, just even the simple, like this is the anatomy. Beautiful. Amazing. So are these, are are there 
Are there resources you would direct folks to to learn more about this? I often use ohmygodyes.com that I send people um, to or Babes in Toyland for Morgasm. Yeah, so I I actually I that's a really good question. I think that I just tend to have the conversation and um I don't really send I don't know. I don't really send people to specific places for um, more information about it other than if they bring something to me, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And also knowing that there are local shops like Bays and Toyland that have, you know, people in there that are, are very, um, knowledgeable and also, um, make you feel comfortable talking about, you know, sex and, and, and toys and, and, um, they're very just open to all different kinds of sexual experience. So that's typically my advice is to, um, you know, explore toys and, and just to read on their own, just sort of do some exploration. And then most of the time they bring information back to me and we talk about it. Do you ever work with uh, women and their partners or do you have places that you send them just for more kind of coaching and especially women who are dealing with dysfunction or pain? Um, like how do you, how do you help folks? So, um, are you talking about sex in general? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so because sometimes, you know, so I've had partners come in with patients, um, to talk about how to sort of, sort of get back to sex, you know, like what, what the partner can do to help that patient get back to sex. Sometimes, for example, people with, um, vaginismus, which is, you know, sort of muscle spasm in the vagina and pain in the vagina, um, will be using toys or dilators in the vag in the vagina to, um, stretch muscle tissue and to bring the partner into that is a nice way to be intimate, to sort of, you know, help the partner learn how to kind of massage the tissues and, and to understand where the patient can't, what their limits are, what the patient's limits are. I also educate people and their partners on other ways to have intimacy, just, you know, aside from penetration, because I think that a lot of people are, you know, they're just like, well, we can't, you know, we can't have sex, like sex. I'm like, well, sex is so multifaceted. There's so many things that you could do. And actually sometimes those other things you know, they soften the tissues and they allow for easier, less painful vaginal penetration. So I do do that. I do have a referral, a sex therapist referral. Jessa Zimmerman um, is in the Seattle area who works with patients um, of mine in terms of communicating with each other. I think there's, there's definitely, um, you know, we all, we have like our own, some of us have our own erotic themes, like what, what turns us on, what makes us happy. And we're not always able to communicate those out of, you know, fear or shame to our partners. And so she helps people, patients of mine talk about, you know, what they need, um, with their partners and and just trying to like get the words out, you know, and communicate about sex in a better way. She doesn't do actual physical work, but she, um, helps people with the communication piece. That's awesome. Could you give us a couple more examples of um, pretty common pain syndromes that you recognize or, or treat pretty 
often when it comes to women's pelvic floors? Sure. So um, as I mentioned, there is um, vaginismus, which is most of the time considered a muscle spasm in the vagina that's preventing a person from having you know, penetration or sometimes even just inserting a tampon or something like that would be painful. So that's called vaginismus. And then there's vulvodynia, which is um, pain in the vulva area. That tends to be more, um, you know, superficial. So the vulva is the more super, superficial part of the female genitalia and um, tends to be uh, there tend to be issues with sort of stretching of the tissues or friction of, of the vulva, um, which of course could happen during penetration, but also people with vulvodynia even sometimes have trouble wearing underwear or, you know, clothing um, because they just have this sort of like friction burning um, sensation in their vulva area. Um, sometimes, you know, they have pain with, um, clitoral stimulation, for example, as well. And then there's dyspareunia, which is, um, pain with sex. Um, so sometimes a lot of times that tends to be sort of that deeper pelvic pain that might occur with like a deeper penetration. So that's dyspareunia. Did you have, are you thinking of another one in particular that you want me to speak to? Maybe about incontinence as well that a lot of women struggle with. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought you said pain syndrome. Yeah, no, that um, too. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So those were all the pain. Those, those were many of the pain syndromes. There are other, they get others and they get really specific. So, um, aside from pelvic pain, which we sort of have as one large umbrella, which encompasses a lot of things, Um, We also treat incontinence, which can be um, urge incontinence or stress incontinence, and then sometimes fecal incontinence. Then we also uh, treat pelvic organ prolapse, which is also known as POP. And there are five different types of prolapse, and that is um, when your organs shift out of place from where they've been held. And that typically occurs from vaginal birth. That's like the thing that, that brings that on most, but then uh, later in life, as we decrease our estrogen around menopause, um, pelvic organ prolapse can show up more as well. Do you find that there's a lot of um, overlap with, uh, with those various conditions that you're describing? Yeah. So, um, so incontinence is one of the main symptoms of having a prolapse. And um, there have been a lot of studies that show that there's a really high incidence of prolapse, but not necessarily everybody knows that they have one. So you might have a grade one or two prolapse, which might not show up symptomatically. You might not feel it, or you might not be able to see it if you look, but you might have urinary incontinence, which means that you might have a cystocele, which would be a bladder prolapse, or a urethrocele, which would be a urethral prolapse. And not know it, you know. So, so often um, those types of prolapse and incontinence do do overlap. Incontinence and pain do sometimes overlap, but I wouldn't say it's a rule. But they do sometimes overlap. I mean, so most of the time, they um, people describe prolapse as sort of a pressure, but not so much pain. But you might have a prolapse and have pain with deep penetration. So you might have dyspareunia, which is pain with sex, 
if you have um, a uterine prolapse, for example, and your cervix is lower. Got it. Could you tell us a little bit more about polyvagal theory and, and some of the magic that you use with polyvagal theory around pelvic work? Sure. So um, polyvagal theory is a theory um, developed by Stephen Porges. He came up with this theory that is centered around the vagal nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve. And it's our nerve that is responsible for our fight or flight or freeze symptoms that we go through when we're under threat. So when it comes to pelvic pain, a lot of people with pelvic pain have had traumatic experiences, traumatic sexual experiences, traumatic birth experiences that create a reaction in their body that is either sympathetic, so it might come with um, a heightened nervous system, a lot of anxiety, maybe anger, fear, or um, the opposite of that, which, which would be a freeze reaction where, as Shar and I were talking about earlier, there's sort of this disassociation that occurs. And I think the number one, well, one of the best ways, actually, there's two ways that I try to treat this um, vagal system. And one is mindfulness and awareness, getting into your body and realizing when you are disassociating or when you are having a sympathetic response. So sometimes that might be if I'm performing, you know, manual therapy on someone, sometimes it may be just talking about a a situation or a scenario where, where I have to, where I ask a patient, so what are you feeling in your body when we're talking about this particular thing? Or what kind of emotions are arising for you or thoughts are arising for you when I'm here doing this manual therapy work in your tissues. So it's starting to sort of allow the patient to associate feelings with the body, you know, so that this make this mind body connection. And the other way that I try to help people tone or, or uh, improve the function of the vagal system is, is with breath work. So doing really, um, you know, yogic breath, very long inhalations and exhalations, slowing, you know, actually giving the breath and the heart rate some, it's kind of like exercise for, you know, it's, 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 what do I want to say? I want to say that it's bringing your heart and your breath into quick changes easily. So in other words, being able to move from one to the next, having variability with, with your, your heart rate and your breath. So we do a lot of yogic breath work where you're doing really slow breath work and then you're doing really fast breath work and then you're doing really slow breath work and then you're doing really fast breath work to allow the patient to have some, some more variability in their, in their vagal reactions. That's awesome. And could you also talk to us a little bit about vaginal steaming? What is that? Vaginal steaming is a practice that has been used by Native and Indigenous cultures for a very long time, especially postpartum. And it is essentially putting herbs in a a pot of steaming water and hovering over that steam bath and um, allowing the steam to 
go into your sort of vulvar tissues. And there are different herbs that can be used for different things. There are flushing herbs, there are cooling herbs. And so you can hover over this steam and the, the vaginal mucosa is so permeable that you, you actually can take in these herbs through the tissues and then they can affect the uterus and the vagina in a positive way. Beautiful. That's so cool. I can't yeah. wait to try that. It'll be fun. I love it. <laughs> so another thing, another thing that I love it for is actually just even sense sensory. I think that when people are not really able to feel their vulvar tissues or, or be sort of connected to their vulvar tissues, that having that steam experience can actually really just brighten or awaken your connection to your vulvar tissues. It's, I mean, I don't know if you guys have had a facial, but when they take the wand, you know, that's blowing steam and sort of put it around your face, it has this like lovely sensory, you have this lovely sensory experience. And I feel like that is something that I, that I find that people that I do vaginal steaming with, it's just sort of like this awakening or this brightening of awareness of their vulgar areas. And this is also something that I've, I've used with people in terms of um, chronic UTIs that just don't, they, you know, there, there is no bacteria present, but there seems to be this like consistent burning with urination. So there are specific herbs that you can use to help with these types of chronic areas. So in terms of vaginal steaming, some of the herbs that I like to use are thyme and yarrow. That's particularly good for urinary infections. It's sort of an astringent type of um, reaction. And then you can also use herbs that we're familiar with already for you know, skin healing or bruising and you know, that kind of trauma like arnica, calendula, lavender, chamomile, um, roses. So there's a, there are a lot of just herbs that I think that many of us are familiar with in terms of natural medicine that we've, we've used them before in various gels or creams or, you know, we know chamomile tea might be gentle on the stomach, but we don't realize that you can also use these herbs in a steam bath and actually have really interesting and positive effects on um, the vulvar and vaginal tissues as well. Fantastic. Well, of course, I want to ask a million more questions about the clitoris and the G-spot and other sensuality (laughs) practices. But I actually think there's something really healing that is beginning with presence, just Mm. presence and this acknowledgement uh, that you talked about and this concept or this theme of the sensual mother, which is is so sexy and beautiful. Exquisite. It's, it's, it's magical. So um, I'd love to hear just if you have a wish for all women and their pelvic floor health, what would you want to inspire in them? My wish is that we really begin to realize how much knowledge and understanding that we deserve to have and that we've been living in a patriarchal society that has not valued our knowledge of ourselves, our knowledge of our own sensuality and everything has been sort of reflected in what's important 
to men and and actually that a reclaiming of, of our bodies and, and our sensuality and our knowledge will be extremely healing for the world because um, as Shar said before, you know, talking about the earth and the connection to, to our mother, the earth. I think that women really have the potential to make a huge impact right now. And that the first step in making that impact is embodying ourselves and, and having this great knowledge of who we are and a confidence of what we actually empower that we can bring to the world to help it heal. That's Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Ryan Simmons. And we can't wait to have you back to go deeper, learn more, relax into all that is the divine feminine. Thank you for for having me. It's been such a pleasure to work with all of you fabulous ladies. And now we have a closing poem from our spiritual director, Shar Sundust. Thank you, Tara. And thank you, Ryan. What a pleasure. It's really interesting because I brought the uh, prayer for Mother Earth. And so our, our prayer prescription or our poetry prescription for today is a prayer for Mother Earth from Julia Cameron. Oh, great mother, we are gathered together in your name that we may be of greater service to you and to each other. We offer ourselves to you. We surrender to you our old ideas. We welcome your new and more expansive ideas. We trust that you will nurture and protect us, that with you all living beings are safe and cared for. Help us to see how we can be of better service to you Help us to believe that it is not too late to serve and that we are not too small or too flawed to be healed by you and through each other and made whole. Help us to love one another as we grow in love for you, to nurture each other's unfolding, to encourage each other's growth, and to understand each other's fears. Help us to know that we are not alone and that we are loved and lovable. Help us to love as an act of worship to you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Mm, Thank you, Ryan, so much. Thank you, Tara, our fabulous spearhead, and Carrie, what a pleasure. And thank you, Camelia. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Village Medicine Podcast. To learn more about our clinic, check us out, villagemedicineseattle.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Village Medicine Seattle or on Instagram at Village Medicine.